Hello, and welcome to the first ever official episode of The Talking Tradesman. Uh, I am joined this evening with my wonderful wife and tech department for the podcast, Angie. So, Angie, let's talk. Stop touching the mic. (laughs) This is going to be an ongoing thing. So, not only is this the first episode, this is the trial run, the let's see if this all works, all new equipment, all new office, all new setup. If there are going to be any mistakes, it will be on this one. Stop so touching it. Bear with us. I'm just making sure Leave it's it solid. Leave it alone. <laughs> right, Honestly, okay, just okay. put your hands down and behave. I need to sit on my hands, really, don't I? Yeah, that's it. Go on, sit on your hands. Right, okay. Can you talk if you're sat on your hands? I can talk if I'm sat on my hands. Go on, then. I'm not going to sit on my hands. Why not? Because I would feel silly sat on my hands. I'm not <laughs> going to sit on my hands. So... Right, I think in order to explain or best explain the dynamic of our relationship, we can talk about the last three weeks. So we took the tenancy on this office, this space that we are now sat in. We, I. Tell the truth. Okay, she. Yeah. She. Tell the story properly, Ross. How long ago did we uh, consider this this whole idea? It was about 20 days ago. There we go. Uh, There we go. Yeah. So in order to best explain our dynamic, I am the thinker, the overthinker, and uh, my lovely wife is definitely the doer. So we first mentioned, or I first mentioned, the idea of doing a podcast. I can't even remember. How did this come about? It actually started off with me years ago. I said, oh my God, we should do a podcast together. You weren't buying any of it. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. But more recently. So I had the vision Mm. there. I remember a podcast was mentioned and then you dropped out, oh, there's this office space that's come up. Are you available to come and see it with me? To which I was like, no, I'm at work, but go and have a look. Let me know what you think. Uh, Take some pictures if you need to and let me know what you think. So you gave it the, yeah, 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 I'll go and have a look. I'll let you know what I think of it. And what happened when you came to look at the office, Ange? So me and Els, who works for me, we went, and we viewed the office. We met the woman here. We looked round and we were like, okay, we've got the vision. We can see the vision. So we were running through the uh, light details with the woman that was there. And um, she was like, oh, yeah. So this is what the cost is. And I was like, what? Okay. She's having a laugh, isn't she? Um, it was actually cheaper than it was originally advertised for. So Els and I looked at each other and was just like, yeah, 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 we'll take it. And naturally, she looked in the room, identified all the issues and the money that needed to be spent on the room, didn't she? Yeah, well, I knew that there was uh, issues. <laughs> but yeah. I think my uh, very good painter-decorator husband could not fix, eh? Mm. So the, the message I got was, I've been to see the office and I've signed a, ten- a 12-month tenancy, yeah? <laughs> I've signed a 12-month tenancy. When can you do the work was the next question. So, yeah, it's been a three-week roller coaster. We got the keys three weeks ago, started work. Basically, no, let's get that correct. Go on then. So, Tuesday, I viewed it. Thursday, I had the keys. Right. Two days. Okay, two days. Two-day Fastest tenancy they've ever turned around in the history of Earth. That sounds about right. And this, ladies and gentlemen and listeners, is what I'm dealing with. So it's um, it's been a whirlwind, but I'm actually really, really impressed and happy with what we're now sat in. 
for the first ever episode of the Talking Tradesman. Um, yeah, the, the space has come together really well, hasn't it? I mean, I'm happy yeah. with it. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely ecstatic. I was happy once the floor and the blinds went up. Russ mm. wasn't happy about putting the blinds up because, like he said earlier, he's more of a, like, wait it out, thinker, take time, whereas I'm like, no, bang, do it. needs to be done straight away. Let's Boom. have some context. This, this was a Sunday, right? <laughs> where when are, when are we going to do it ever? Where I had agreed to put the floor down on the Sunday. Mm which I did, and yeah. I said, there's no way I'm doing anything else, just the flooring. And then I got the puppy dog eyes, and the, oh, well, I, I really hoped that the blinds would be up. So I then agreed to do the blinds. Why are you saying that? I'm, I don't come across that beggy. Your face. I'm so excited about the blinds. <laughs> Your face was beggy. That was what it was. No? No. No. I was disappointed. Wait. We remember this event differently. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Different versions of event yeah. went on in your head and the other thing went on in mine. The long and short of the outcome of this was I, I said that I was only going to do the flooring and 12 hours later I'd done the floor, the blinds and assembled the furniture. Correct? I helped. Putting a chair together backwards. Yeah, and then who got rid of all the rubbish? Oh, there we go. The, the, big the, the big job. The big job. The rubbish disposal was taken care of. I didn't realise you are a bit of a, a weak woman. Of... <laughs> Really? Okay, okay. He's hating me. Moving on swiftly. See? (laughs) So, the podcast. Three weeks from conception to completion. We're now sat here recording the first episode, which is going to go out within the next 24, 48 hours once the tech department does her editing magic. Oh, oh wait, you want me to do your editing? I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. Let's be honest, I've jumped into this. It's just like I don't have anything like to do with knowing about lighting like so if everybody is uh wondering about the lighting situation Mm. let's let's talk about the lights we had (laughs) issues over the lights how much how much are these lights we need the lights again the doer over there and the budget don't really come together do they but when 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 your people watch my podcast and they see my lighting Mm. Right, well, we do need more lighting. Oh, oh, there it we, is. We do there need more lighting. Oh, yes, I However, there. this project has gone significantly over budget so far, which, you know, I'm happy with the results, but I had to draw a line somewhere, which is why we're sat in the dark. So anyone actually watching this, that's the reason why. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's how we got to where we are now. So what's your podcast going to be about so introduce your podcast so yeah um introducing so this episode what i wanted to do with this episode it's an introductory episode to the talking tradesman i mentioned before um on my socials the reasons for doing this but i haven't said that on here so that's what i'm gonna do now so the idea behind the talking tradesman um it's sort of initiated by the the situation that I'm aware of within the building trades and particularly mental health within the building trades for men. Um, I volunteer at Samaritans. I've been doing that for about a year now. Um, And one of the the situations that has been brought to light, I think it's best illustrated by the statistics really, which are, to be honest, utterly horrific. Um, Unfortunately, within the UK, the statistics for people that take their own life are 75% men to 25% women. 
Um, and out of that 75%, the building trades make up the biggest demographic of industry. Now, I was aware that that was the case, but recently I've looked into the actual figures of that, which are even worse. So out of the 75% of men, 18% of that are made up by what they class as lower skilled construction. So that's like your laborers, your hard carriers, all that kind of thing, which, you know, great respect. None of the industry could carry on without those jobs, but that's 18% of the 75, which is huge. Out of the rest of that, 38% are made up by skilled tradesmen. So out of the 75% of men that sadly take their own lives every year, 56, if I've got my maths right there, 56% of that is made up by people in and associated with the building trades. So I thought to myself, what can I do? What can I do? And the one thing that I've seen is that the power of just talking is huge, makes a huge difference um, and literally saves lives. So the idea was to start a podcast and to talk to people about their journeys, their journeys within the industry, within the job, within mental health, um, and, and bring it all together to create a podcast that was entertaining, informative, um, and to, to start to break down the stigma of men that don't talk. So I think maybe just on that note, why don't you tell everybody your like full-on journey of your mental health throughout your sort of like childhood, adulthood. Mm. I think maybe at this point, people might want to know, like, what's your backstory? Yeah, of course. And it's only fair to do so. You know, I'm, I'm going to be encouraging people to talk and hopefully getting guests on to talk about their journeys and their lives and their mental health journeys and the, the struggles and how they've overcome them, hopefully. Um, and it would only be right to talk about my own and talk about my own life and, and sort of be open myself because it would be hypocritical of me not to do that. So I think you've, as with a lot of mental health, you've kind of got to go close to back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and that probably started with, it's intertwined for me, mm -hmm. as you know, mm -hmm. you know, so obviously I've got my wife here talking to me. She knows a lot of this, mm -hmm. but I find it's a lot easier to talk to somebody rather than just dictate, you know, your, mm -hmm. your story. So mm -hmm. it's better to have somebody to bounce this off. Mm -hmm. Um, so my family history is intertwined with the reasons and how I got into the building trades. So I've been in business pretty much for 22 years now. And that started, it's a family business. So the painting and decorating business that I now run was initially set up back in the 60s by my grandfather. Uh, so I'm third generation. So I've kind of... People ask me, how long have you been a decorator? And I often joke that I was born with a brush in my hand. But literally, as far back as I can remember, I've been painting and decorating. Um, and the reason this ties into my family story, really, is because at the age of... I had what I would class as a normal childhood. Um, and I think it was normal because basically I can't remember it as is the case a lot of the time, you know, you, you don't remember the normal things. It's interesting because your memory is very vague on your childhood yeah. in certain parts, whereas mine is so, I remember like trauma, like. Yeah. 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 But that's what I mean. Like until something traumatic mm -hmm. happens, you tend, you tend to not remember it. But you're very good at, you lock things off. <clears throat> A lot of the time, you've that's a characteristic that's probably stayed with you throughout. You lock it off and don't... Yeah, that was how I coped. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was only later life where I actually realised what I was doing. I, I didn't know I was doing that. It was an mm. automatic defence thing. Mm. Um, 
So what happened, I was eight years old, really, when my memories came. I've got little memories before that, but nothing major. But at eight years old, the big traumatic thing in my, my life, my family life happened, which was my mum and dad splitting up. Um, and at that point, the, the rarity here, I think most parents that split up, you tend to find that the dad leaves and the, the, the children stay with the mother in most cases. Obviously, it's not all cases, and it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mum left the family home, um, at which point me and my younger sister were left with my father who was a painter and decorator at that point. How did that make you feel at that point when that, that like your whole world just It was dropped? a complete bombshell. I mean, as an eight-year-old child, or as a child, it, this is one of those things that I've reflected on recently. Um, when you're a child, your whole world is revolved around you and you don't have that perception of what the adults are thinking and feeling at that time. Everything comes back to you. So when anyone is upset and you're young, Mm. you think it's because of you, Mm. you know? Um, So all of a sudden I've gone from this, what I felt was a stable family environment to my mother leaving. And as I best remember it, this is from the memory of an eight year old and I've got memory problems anyway. Um, (laughs) But as I best remember it, it was at least three weeks um, that I had no contact Mm -hmm. with my mother. And that had gone from being a a situation where I spoke to her and saw her every day. So those three weeks to me felt like a year had passed. Mm -hmm. Everything had changed. Everything had stopped. Um, And by the time she got back in contact, that, that, I don't know. I, th- I think there was a there was a fracture in that relationship. Um, I felt like she had walked out on me. Now, looking back as an adult, I can see that you know there were there were issues within her marriage and her and my dad's marriage, and I'm not going to touch into that because that's them. Um, but from my vi- my standpoint, mm. she had walked out on me. Um, <clears throat> And from that point on, there was that abandonment, you know, that feeling of abandonment, that feeling of insecurity. Um, and, and that was how that's followed me throughout life. So it followed me to the point until I recognized it and then I could start to adjust my behavior. Mm. Um, but yeah, so there was this big event, you know, my mom left and my family life was shattered. Mm. Um, and I stayed with my dad and a, a bit later down the line, I mean, Again, I've only come to this conclusion recently to see my dad. He had his struggles and it absolutely destroyed him when the relationship broke down. But he was then a single father and he was never, he didn't ever expect that or want that situation. Um, And because of the situation around their split, I felt loyalty to my father. So I stayed with him. My younger sister ended up going to live with my mom. So it completely split in half. It was like the boys stuck together, the girls went off together. Um, And because my dad was a painter, getting back to the trade thing, because my dad was in the trades, I now lived with him. Uh, So every school holidays, summer holidays, Easter holidays, any of that where he had to work, I went to work. Um, And I I wasn't forced to work. It wasn't slave labor for the record. Um, but I was given the choice basically that, yeah, you can sit there and read magazines. Cause you know, when we were kids, there were no tablets, iPods and all that kind of thing. iPods, iPads, even iPods are outdated now, aren't they? Um, that wasn't an option. So it was sit and read magazines, football magazines, 442 magazine for those that remember. Um, 
or get involved. So I used to do bits of work and it just went from there. I went from, you know, I'd strip wallpaper for him to then started painting. And I've got a memory specifically of, I was working in a, a little town by us called Evesham on a chip shop job one summer. And I was that covered in paint, I was head to toe in paint. And the people walking past were literally in stitches laughing at me because I was covered in paint. Um, but that... He's still covered in paint. Not right now. I've got my new merchandise on, actually. <laughs> Talking Tradesman hoodie is available. At... <laughs> Not quite yet. Maybe one day. By the way, he's dragged me out of work. He's literally slave labored me. I've had to do his hair specifically for this. And then he drops it on me. Can we do my podcast tonight? Like, <laughs> this is December, the busiest time of my year. And oh, here I am supporting you. Take this opportunity. Are you grateful? I am very grateful. Thank you very much. I'm extremely grateful for all your help and pushing patronizing look at him if you could just patronizing that's genuine they can see you well they will see how genuine i am (laughs) um so yeah getting back to the story um that followed me through so fast forward that was all my summers all my easters everything like that pretty much went to work and by the age of 15 uh i was actually i was on i remember being put on a big job by my dad and he'd got a couple of people working for him and i was running the job at 15 years old um, my home life at that point, again, you know, my dad, uh, he struggled with the situation. Um, and he, you know, he was trying to cope with his life, but how, from me and how I felt at that point, I just felt unsupported. Um, and it was an abandonment for me from first my mum, and then from my dad, mm-hmm. he was trying to deal with his own demons and his own issues around what had gone on. Um, and I can only, I could only understand that now as an adult at the time when I was a kid, I kind of felt like I'd been left to just go off and do whatever I wanted. Uh, and I got to the point where, I mean, I did well in school, um, got to that age. Um, and at this point I was adamant, I was not going to be in the building trades. I was not going to follow his path. I was not going to be a decorator. Um, and as I said, my granddad, he started the business. He was still trading at this point in time. So I'd got both of these references, both of these figures. They weren't working together. Um, but I, I looked up to my grandfather a lot. So when my mom and dad split, my nan and granddad were amazing. Uh, they kind of stepped in and were probably closer to parents to me for a long time. Mm. Um, and I was, I was very fortunate to have that. Because without that, I could have gone down a much different mm. path. Uh, How did do you feel like your grandparents um, helped? What what specifically can you remember that um, you wasn't getting they from were, your parents? They were there. They, they were there. Um, it's not quite the same relationship, but mm. I will eternally be grateful. Um, both sets of my grandparents, in fairness, stepped up to the plate. But the one thing I would say that when I look back, the, the thing that stands out to me was that from my grandparents, I felt unconditional love. Mm. You know, I mean, you met my nan. So my nan was one of those people, I could have done anything wrong. I could have robbed banks and she would have said, well, it was probably the bank's fault, you know. He was Um, the favourite. My nan was amazing, but I just had that unconditional love from them. Mm. What At the time, I was lacking from my parents. Mm. They were going through their own things and uh, I guess, you know, it, Mm. it, it was hard for them to put me at the top of that. Mm. Um, but as I said, you can only, I'm not trying to throw shade here at 
my parents. Um, you know, I've got a good relationship with my dad these days, but I lived with him from the age of eight till 17. Um, and then at that point, I didn't, we didn't speak for seven or eight years. How did that affect you? Do you think like that no contact with your dad? It definitely had an effect. Um, I was angry. I was resentful about a lot of the things that had happened. But you still had your grandfather in your life at that point, right? Luckily, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I had my granddad. My granddad was amazing. Um, <clears throat> he was the father figure at mm. that point. Um, and that was getting back to the business thing. So my business story. So did well in school, left school, went sick form, had no idea what I was doing, got good grades, but... He just fluke it. He just flukes everything <laughs> in life. Here, me over here has to freaking work for it. This guy and his son just genetically freaking lucky, just pulls it out of the hat. Just a natural born genius. Dickhead. <laughs> Don't swear. I can do what I want. Children listening you to want, this. You want the, want the tech done? Do I have to? Do we have to put the e thing on the? Yeah. On the podcast. Because I'm then? fucking swearing. <sighs> He's hating me right now. I'm dealing with over here, people. <laughs> Um, yeah, so where did I get to? Where am I in my life? You back, back to the trades. Back to the trades. Mm. So yeah, 15, 16, I was adamant I wasn't going to be a painter and decorator. Um, but for my own reasons, I needed to get out of the house. So I, I did half my A-levels then left school. Um, and I went and did agency work for a year. And then swiftly realised that actually being a painter and decorator was a fucking good option. <laughs> so I decided at that point, uh, me and my dad had had a, had a bus stop. Um, and my grandfather was at a point where in his business, he was, he'd been a very successful businessman. He'd done really well out of the trade. He was winding things down. And I decided to come up. So we kind of had a bit of a handover, worked together for three, four years. What yes. was it like working with your grandfather? Because I've obviously never met him, but I've heard so many stories. It was brilliant. It, it was. I'm so grateful to have had that time mm. where it was just me and him because he had, you know, he, he was the consummate gentleman at home in front of my nan. Mm -hmm. But on jobs, on a building site, he was a different man. And I got to see that. I got to see the side of him that I'd probably never seen if I hadn't worked with him. Um, so yeah, eternally grateful for that time. It was brilliant. You know, if I could turn back time and have more time with him mm. than I would. Um, and that was me. So at 17, then I essentially took over the business. My granddad came and worked for me and with me. And he, you know, he, he taught me the more niche aspects like high end wallpapering and things like that. And he was there to support me. So I was very lucky. I served like an old fashioned apprenticeship really, which you just can't get these days. So very lucky in my education into the trade. Um, what's, and yeah. the, what's the one thing that you remember your granddad teaching you that stuck? So whether that is in the painting, decorating or personally, what sticks, mm. what, what, what carries on with you? I don't know, you know. Um, I can't say that he ever gave me like one specific lesson. Mm. But to me at that point, just having somebody that was there for me, was everything mm. so knowing much like my nan you know he'd got my back mm. um i used to ring him uh, like daily sometimes if something had gone wrong or i was wound up about something i'd just ring him and have a chat you know just just being there was mm. enough like, i can't say he was ever my granddad you know he was a different generation so he 
didn't really like to get deep on emotions and, and things like that. He wasn't prolific with, you know, anything philosophical. He was just there and he was a good person. So he was just good to be around. His morals were in the right place. Um, so I learned a lot just from his character, I think, is probably the biggest take from that, really. Um, and yeah, uh, so moving forwards, and I'm 17, I'm in the business. So I've been in business 22 years. Um, and that's kind of, that's my background. That's the, the childhood. Obviously, I've missed out big chunks of things that happened throughout the situations with my mum and dad splitting and the environment that I lived in and things like that. And uh, let's just say it wasn't great. Um, but I won't go into detail because out of respect for the people mm-hmm. that are involved, I guess, or out of respect for not sort of airing all my dirty laundry because... I'm not here for that. And one of the things that I've learned and one of the later takes that I've took on this is to find an angle of gratitude for the experiences. Because as much as, if I were to look back, if if somebody, it's a weird one, isn't it? I don't know how you feel Mm -hmm. on this. But if somebody were to say to me now, right, Russ, I can take all that away and give you the Brady Bunch perfect childhood, would you take it? No. Why? Because I think everything that you experience throughout your life creates your character. Yeah, and exactly. It makes you like a certain way, and then you're built quite resiliently. Yeah. And if you hadn't had, or had I not had the experiences that I had in my childhood, I wouldn't be as impulsive, mm. as fired up as I am. I mean, that that wouldn't run through my veins had I'd had that 2.4 perfect family. It wouldn't have worked. Yeah, I wouldn't see, have been the same. I'm of the same opinion. I would not be who I am now. I wouldn't have the resilience and the drive that I have now. If I'd had that perfect childhood, mm-hmm. I mean, well, I don't think. I'll never know, will I? Um, but I'm not. The way I look at it now uh, and the way I've changed my whole mindset, and we'll get onto that in a bit, but the way I've changed my mindset now is to kind of be grateful for the adversity because mm. it, it gives you character. It makes you what you are. As long as you can look at it that way, then there's value to be found in it. Mm. In fact, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day, uh, you know, Dapper Laughs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's done a podcast called Menace to Sobriety. I where didn't he know talk- he did podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite good, actually, if you're listening one day, Dapper. Um, but he does a really good podcast called Menace to Sobriety, where he talks about his journey going sober. Is that his actually actual name? No, no. Yeah, I don't know. People call their kid Russell. Daniel, Daniel O'Reilly. Oh, really? Daniel O'Reilly. That's his name. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to that the other day and he had somebody on, uh, Laurie Haynes, his name is mental health advocate, but they were talking about trauma. Um, and his point of view, he brought up, he said, there's value in trauma. If you look at it the right way, there's value to it. Mm-hmm. So there's value to those experiences. And if you can look back at some of the trauma and shit you've been through and give it value as a lesson, as an experience, as a something yeah, that it definitely you know, defines, defines you as a person as to which way you're going to go with that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And if you can look at it like that, and it's hard, isn't it? It sounds mad being so be grateful for your trauma like because most people are horrified by their trauma but if most you people can... don't want to deal with it exactly mm-hmm. exactly and i didn't mm-hmm. for years for years um and we'll pull back to me now um so i obviously took a lot of my experiences as a child 
bottled it away and shut off my emotions. Yeah, um, I was just cold. That was it. I'd, I put everything inside to protect myself. I was quite aggressive um, in my view on life. I wasn't an aggressive person. I've always been pretty chilled. But I was quite aggressive with my view towards people. <laughs> you know, like, I just didn't like people, didn't want to know people. still don't like people. I'm better than don't, I was. Don't be fooled. I'm better than I was. I like some people. I'm a lot more optimistic with my, my views on people now. But yeah, um, I bottled it all up um, and then carried that forward into my adult life. So what I looked for in relationships, for example, was tainted by the unresolved feelings that I'd got towards things that had happened as a kid. Mm. Essentially, I mean, I'll throw it out there now, abandonment issues mm. is what I had. Um, so I, I was looking for that attachment but at the same time, I was always scared. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I, I was always scared of. You were scared of losing people. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So I guess well, you felt like you lost your parents. Yeah. In a way, and then obviously you lost your granddad, which mm. was a big, big deal. It was a massive deal. Yeah. Um. So I could try and think how old I was now. Um. 20, it was in my late 20s, I think. Mm. I, I can't remember how long ago it was exactly, but lost my granddad to cancer. Um, very unexpected. He was an incredibly fit man. Mm. Um, he used to go out cycling, you know, 30 miles three times a week, mm. fit as a fiddle. Looked 10 years younger than he was. Um, and then one day he had what we thought was a stroke. And then it turned out when he went into hospital, they found that he'd actually got cancer um, and that it had spread. And I think from diagnosis, it was only about three, four months mm. at most before he passed. So, When you got that diagnosis, how did mm. that make you feel? Um, I struggled to process it the same way I struggled to process anything. I, I bottled it away. Mm. Um why do you think you bottled it away? Do you think it was like a defense mechanism from because it was childhood? Yeah, and that's how I dealt with things. It was just, it was too painful to talk about and to deal with. I mean, you all know this. Mm. Uh, when we met, it's taken me years to even talk about it. Mm. I just couldn't talk about the situation at all. Mm. Um, so I've got better. I've still got a lot of work to do on that um, because it, it still flares up those feelings. You know, it's, I, I can, I'm back there in the moment mm. thinking I was about say, it. It's probably triggering it is yeah I can feel it now mm. I can feel it now it's it's probably one of the hardest things that I struggled to talk about um that loss was horrific for me mm. so yeah um and I guess in a way that was kind of like to me it was another abandonment mm. although he had no choice in the matter it, it was another abandonment and it, it just I just became I don't know shut off solid mm. um I didn't ever think about any of these things. I didn't think about my emotions. Mm. Um, but I thought I'd got it all, all under control. That was my perspective. It was just like, yeah, I'm a big hard lad. Don't need to talk about that. Mm. Best thing I can do is just not talk about it, lock it away and pretend it never happened. Mm. And that was how I dealt with things for a long time. Um, and then moving forwards, um, you know, outside of business, obviously I was in a relationship, had two kids, um, and then that relationship broke down about eight, nine years ago. And that, that was probably 
that was the beginning of my journey in terms of my mental health because unfortunately I had you you know not long after I think you know just to clarify here she wasn't I wasn't the other woman <laughs> she wasn't the other woman <laughs> I was single for a period of time um so yeah my marriage broke down um and the I mean that that was of my actions and my choice so that wasn't the issue the issue was the kids so not long after I broke up with my ex-partner, I'm saying this like my wife knows all this, but I'm talking to you guys who aren't here in the room. Um, so, so my ex-wife moved away with my kids. So a couple of hundred miles away, I'm in the Midlands. They moved down to Devon. That's where she's from. We're not going to get into the, the hows and whys of that. Um, but there were certain issues, legal cases, things like that, mm -hmm. that I went through. And I remember... Um, I think we were together by this point, weren't we, with the court cases? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I had never, to my knowledge, experienced anything like anxiety, mm -hmm. depression, panic attacks. Yeah, it was recognised. Yeah, you, I, I, I thought adapted. I was solid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I can't remember what, something was coming up, whether it was uh, a court case or a hearing or I had a few things going on all I think at once. a lot of the time, sorry to interrupt, you were in control of a lot of things mm. and then it unstabilized you when you were out of control and that situation was out of your control and yeah. you didn't know that what the end that's probably why you aren't a risk taker to a degree mm. when you are with this now but you're learning to be like that but i think maybe you're a lot more cautious yeah because of those sorts of things that have, have sort of happened to you the unknown definitely okay I, I can hands down say you know i'll admit right now i would not be sat here doing this if it wasn't for you you know mm. if you hadn't pushed this i wouldn't have done it i'd talk myself into it i'll come up with these ideas i think that'd be good and he talks himself yeah out. exactly mm -hmm. that's the curse of an overthinker so i'll come up with the idea think of all the reasons why it'll work why it's great and then shortly after i'll hit that summit and then self-sabotage i'll come back down mm -hmm. all the reasons why not to do it who's going well listen to this um <laughs> and i'm sat here right now with major imposter syndrome so you know um, it's, it's not fully gone, but I'm at the stage now where I'll just jump and, and see what happens. So that's why I'm here. Mm -hmm. Um, sorry, I interrupted you carry, carry on. So, but yeah, so I can't remember the exact situation, but what I do remember is the feeling feelings I'd never felt before. Tight chest is where it started. The physical you. feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tight chest. And then not to get too graphic, but like an upset stomach for weeks on end. Did you have the shits, babe? Yes, I did. <laughs> um, but these physical symptoms, so, you know, feeling lightheaded, feeling flushed, feeling panicked. Um, and to me, none of this made sense because I'd never experienced it before. And I'd been in some situations where, you know, I'd been in high pressure situations in the past and just been stone cold. Um, I mean, you know, to highlight that. So rewinding back a bit here. But there was a period in my life where I was not in the trades. Um, it was a three-year period, four-year period, where I worked as a bailiff. So I was a warrant, oh, what was it? Uh, I was a court-certificated bailiff. So we used to collect warrants for local authorities, things like business rates. Um, and I was in all sorts of situations doing that job. And genuinely, I was, looking back now, it was almost like self-harm because I put myself in very dangerous situations with no regard for myself. I think maybe subconsciously you were trying to feel something, you were desperate to feel something, but um, 
subconsciously you wanted that, but your conscious self was blocking it. Deep. Very deep. Deep. <laughs> but maybe, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. There was something. Mm. There was something, some reason why, because I don't regret doing the job. Um, and actually, I met some great people doing the job. There's some great lads that I'm in contact with now, but I wouldn't do the job now, not who I am now. Then I was just shut off. I was cold. So Tell them the story about what happened when we went to the pub that one time. Well, that says more about you than it does about <laughs> me, doesn't it? Um, right, okay. We're going off track here, but we'll, we'll run this one in quickly because this paints another picture about my beautiful wife over here. <laughs> so we hadn't been together long, had we? No, no. It was, it was probably maybe a year and a half in was it two that long? years, maybe. Yeah. It oh was Christ! Perfect. Okay. So, I used to live in a town called Redditch, and we'd gone for food in a place called Kidderminster, which is a town. I don't know, half an hour, forty minutes away. Anyway, I used to work around this area. I used to obviously bailiff and collect money, um, and we'd gone for food. And we're sat in this pub and Angela's looked at me and she's gone, babe, do you know that bloke over there? I'm like, nah. She went, he keeps staring at you. I'm like, really? She was like, yeah, yeah, he does, yeah. So I kind of ignored it and carried on. She's like, he keeps staring at you. But the best thing was this guy kept doing that regular thing where he was like getting on a phone. He's like in and out like a yoga phone. I was like, yeah, he's calling his boys. Yeah, so this chap, he looks over at me. And I make eye contact and he's scowling at me. And I think, ah, oh, you know, you get that recognition, you know? And I was like, ah, oh, shit. I vaguely remember dealing with him back in my bailiff days. Um, and Angela's looked at me and she's gone, babe, do we need to go? And I'm like, nah, we don't need to go. I was like, look, he didn't do anything then. He's not going to do anything now. <laughs> so we've eaten our food and she's sort of getting edgy. And then she's like, he keeps going out there, out there on his phone. What if people are waiting? Me being me, I'm like, oh, well, if they are, they are. Yeah, me being hyper freaking aware and my yeah. London roots kicking in. My so, awareness level were like a beacon. Beep, 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 beep. We, um, we finish our food anyway um, and uh, walk out of the pub. So I'm like, come on then, let's go. I was fully ready for a brawl. So, well, as you're about to find out. <laughs> so we walk out, we go back to the car, nothing happens. This chap doesn't say a word. There's nobody waiting outside to jump me. We're all good, we're safe, we're alive. Um, and we get into the car, and as we get into the car, our princess over here <laughs> just casually reaches out and drops the steak knife <laughs> that she'd been eating her dinner with in the like central res central what is it the center bit of the car center console of the car. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and you said, I said, well, I thought we were going to get jumped, and I thought, how could I help if there's loads of them? So I was just going to poke them with the knife to get them poke off. Them. Poke them. Poke them. Well, it's just enough. She was going to gonna cut them up. Yeah, I would have cut them up. <laughs> <laughs> and that, boys and girls, is ride or die, <laughs> which actually ended up on our wedding cake. Literally. We cut our wedding cake with an axe. That's another story. Yeah, another story. <laughs> Where were we before you brought things back? to? Oh, the bailiff thing, right. So... I've been in high-pressure situations before, never felt anything like what I was feeling at this time. Um, and what I did with that, uh, luckily for me, Ange was there, and she actually said to me, this is anxiety. And I was like, it's not fucking anxiety. I don't have anxiety. I've never had it. I'm fine. I don't have that. Um, and she was like, no, no. Like, are you feeling like this? I'm like, yeah. Are you feeling like that? Yeah. 
and it, it you know it was uh, you know I, I was suffering with anxiety you sleeping either. no and it you know it was triggered by the smallest things i mean my phone would go off and i'd be looking thinking is that a message from somebody that i don't want to be hearing mm. from um and my heart rate would go through the roof you know i was dreading my phone going off um but what that did the way i decided to handle that I focused in on the physical reactions that my thoughts were causing and that began began to fascinate me um, and I went down the line of well I'm feeling this way to the point you know where I got an upset stomach I mean how does that happen just from your thoughts so I went down this track of well if my thoughts can do all this negative stuff and everybody knows this, don't they? You know, you're in a stressful situation. People can have a heart attack through stress. It's insane. What you can lose your hair. Yeah. You can obviously lose weight. Um, but all these things that stress and your thoughts can do to you physically, I kind of thought, well, if you flip that, because there's got to be balance, hasn't there? If your thoughts can negatively impact you to the point you have physical symptoms, then surely if you can adjust your thought patterns positively, it will do the reverse. Mm. And I went down a track then of, I mean, I'll be honest, it was a stressful two years um, and I, I struggled, you know. Uh, and in fact, actually, I'll, I'll mention this now because of the time of year. So just to anyone out there, at, at this point, I'll say this, that my lowest point in my life came one, this was before we I were together. That. You knew me, but yeah, we, we'd only just started dating. So the first Christmas after the split, um, and that was my lowest point in life. Um, it was the worst I've ever felt. So I had obviously split. My kids were a couple of hundred miles away. And I remember I'd broken up for work about three days before Christmas. So I'm now there in an empty house with no children with Christmas approaching for the first year ever. So what did I do? I just went on a three-day bender. Yeah, I remember that yeah. bender. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that bender. So we weren't I together at this point. We weren't together at this point. But we'd, we'd started dating. Um, and yeah, I just thought, well, I'll take every opportunity to drown it. So I took every opportunity, every person, that, anyone that was going out, I'll come. So I just went and got smashed for three days mm -hmm. solid. And I remember Christmas Eve, getting to Christmas Eve, and my friends always meet up or used to meet up in the same pub at the same time every Christmas Eve. So sure enough, I went along to this hungover, um, had the few drinks, and then it got to that point. The, the two hour point where everyone said hello happy christmas blah 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 and they're like right i've got to go now because i'm going home to my kids and i'm sat there going i've got no kids like i've, I've got nothing now i'm mm. completely lost and there were a couple of lads that stayed out and i went to another pub with a couple of friends and i remember just sitting there and i remember the i remember the feeling now of just breaking sitting in a pub looking around at all the families and kids and people you know families getting together for a pint or two and exchanging presents in the pub and I remember looking around and just going I can't do this and I got a taxi home on my own and I walked in my front door and I literally broke you know I sat there in floods of tears on the sofa on my own in an empty house half my furniture gone mm -hmm. um, and but you kept your tv right I kept my tv that was my tv his tv <laughs> it was him it was my tv <laughs> But yeah, at that point, I genuinely have never been that low. And fortunately for me, I'd got some positives in my life. So I'd met Ange. I knew that we were going on a date in the new year. So I'd got that. 
Um, and I'd, I also knew that I was actually seeing my kids on Christmas Day, but later in the day. Mm-hmm. So, but it was that thought of Christmas morning, waking up, no kids, no presents, no family, nothing. And I actually, I spent all day on the M5. Did you? Because the way that it worked out, I wasn't able to go for a Christmas dinner anywhere. I literally, and I, I, do you know what? I took a picture that day. I remember it, I still have it. Yeah, so I sent it to Ange and I said to myself, this will never happen again. This won't happen again. And it was a picture of a red can of monster, a red turkey and cranberry sandwich, and a Kit Kat because I kept it all red. So, <laughs> for my benefit, that was my Christmas dinner that year because I had to travel down to pick my kids up from Devon and then come back. Mm. Um, and then I had, you know, I had the rest of the day with my kids. So, I know at that point, if I hadn't have had that hope, I don't know where I'd have gone with that, genuinely, because I was broken at that Mm. stage um so to anyone out there listening to this that's in a shit situation this year it's christmas it's heightened what i would say having been in that position is if you need to talk to someone um and i'll I'll take this opportunity now to say that samaritans offer a fantastic service it's anonymous there's always somebody waiting to pick up that phone 116 123 you can give them a call if you've got nobody else to talk to just talk to somebody and if you're feeling low reach out to family if you've got them friends if you've got them and if you're listening to this and you're thinking that sounds like somebody I know you know oh that sounds like Dave he's just split up with his missus he's probably drinking right you know he's out on the piss right now check in on those people because the rates of people taking their own life at this time of year are horrendous so they're bad anyway and they're doubled at this time of year so if you know anybody that's in a rough situation right now reach out to them check up on them and please don't take i'm okay as an answer because if you message no exactly and particularly as men you know we're unlikely to open up so yeah reach out for that help if you need it i was lucky i had hope but there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't and i know how low i was with hope so yeah um, I've lost track now. Where were we? Went a bit morbid. Christmas. Um... Christmas. We've moved. Oh, mental health. Okay. Mm. Yeah, that that one. Um, so yeah, I I zoomed in on the physical reactions my body was having to stress mm. and mental health, and it took me on a journey. Before then, I, I wasn't looking at anything, but I started studying the effects of stress, positively and negatively. Uh, it took me down a rabbit hole then, where mm. I ended up studying um philosophy which took me down an ancient greek path um the stoics stoicism by the way fantastic thing if, you, if you're struggling mindset wise it's helped both of us hasn't yeah. it because uh, expl- a lot of people might not know what stoicism, stoicism. is oh, i got that right did you hear it so before i was saying it wrong stoicism stoicism stoicism, stoicism. stoicism. Yeah, it's not the easiest word, is no, it? But I got it um, right the first time. Best thing, Explain. anyone listens to audiobooks or reads books, there's a book out there mm. by a man called Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. Fantastic book, give it a look. Um, but The Obstacle is the Way, right? So it's the mindset, the theory, the, the sort of way of thinking that the obstacle in your life is showing you the way. So, and that's where the whole there's value in trauma similar it's a stoic concept so it's a a case of you know take your obstacles take your knocks take your bumps 
and learn from it. There's no such thing as a loss if you mm -hmm. take the lesson. So that's where that came in. And then reading those books, looking into Stoicism, I mean, my favorite, Marcus Aurelius, mm -hmm. you know, I've just had tattoos on my leg with his, his quotes. Um, took me on a journey where the whole thing of changed my mindset as an overall thing. And I can't turn around and say that there was one point where I've gone, oh, well, if you feel like this, do a breathing exercise. It's not as simple as that. It takes an entire mindset change, mm. which takes time. Um, and I went down this education journey where I went through philosophy, as I say, Stoicism, Buddhism. The Buddhism's great as well. They've mm. got some great philosophies within Buddhism. And a lot of these things are intertwined. Then I started studying evolutional psychology. And then I thought, well, I'm doing all this studying. I might as well make something out of this. And I started doing a psychology degree. So... I'm halfway through a psychology degree at the moment um, and I'm doing that with a view or majoring as it were in counselling. So I'm heading down that path and then that took me to the Samaritans and obviously I've been volunteering, I've done all their training, I'm volunteering there, I've been doing that for about a year. Um, and that is how I lifted myself out of my mental health situation where had I was lucky because had certain things not happened how they did, it would have spiraled mm. without doubt. You know, I was lucky that I found you and you had got your knowledge and experience and you were able to help me. Mm. Um, but had I not have had that, I don't even want to think where I'd be right now. I don't, I don't know. Mm. You know, because there were a couple of moments where I remember having that realisation where I was having a hard time and I'd go home and crack open there was, I'm sure my mates there was, there was banter at the time one of my mates had come round and all I had in the house was bottles of Jack Daniels and pot noodles um, and that was my diet <laughs> so and then there was that realisation of oh, I can't do this you know I've, I've got to swap swap the alcohol for the gym do you know want to know why he had pot noodles in the house tell everybody about your dating history what did you do why did you go on dates to eat yeah <laughs> That's why he had pot noodles. <laughs> to eat. Yeah, he worried. Like dating, he dating was worried. Food. He was going out for food. Not all the time. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, uh, Tinder gave me some food options, shall we say. <laughs> I was paying, don't get me wrong, I wasn't, I wasn't being no scrub. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there, there, were, there were many dates that were done just to eat. Have you, mind you, saying that, have you ever gone to a restaurant? Mm. See, I wasn't capable of I'd do it happily now. But I was a lot more conscious then. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and asked a table for one? Yeah. I've eaten on my own plenty of times over the years. Oh, I've been on holiday on my own. See, again, though, it's one of those little things, you know, those little triggers. But where... have you been to the cinema on your own? I'd love to go to the cinema on my own because you eat popcorn so goddamn loud. Really? Really? I've never brought I've mentioned this before. Oh. I, it's the hand. It's the hand that goes in. The, the claw. <laughs> Ain't that the idea, though? But it doesn't need to rustle round every time. That's what I mean. It's like... I don't know if this is working through the mic, but, yeah, it's extremely loud. Luckily, you devour it all before the film, so we can get away with that. Okay, then. <laughs> Something I've learnt that apparently... We have had this conversation. We've never had this conversation. Did I've you not never been the, way that, the way that I stare at you. You stare at me because I'm on my phone and you look at me like the freaking cinema police, like get off your phone. Like he's the most sort of 
law-abiding corrupt citizen I know. There like, are certain etiquettes that need to be abided by in cinemas. No. Why would you do... What? <laughs> it makes me worse. The more this you This is the problem. Me, this is the problem. Yeah. The more you look at me, the more I want to do it. But as you know, I'm incapable of hiding my, uh, my feelings towards these things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was... Um, I guess that was a short bird's eye version of my journey with mental health. Um, suffering with anxiety, panic attacks. Uh, I don't think depression, but there, there was definitely the other two. And then, you know, you, this is the whole reason I'm doing this podcast is to try and get people to open up and talk. Because for me, it was, an ed I educated myself out of the situation I was in. And I've now adjusted my mindset. Um, I see the world very differently. And I do genuinely... It, it's all the old sort of like cheesy comments, isn't it? But if all you look for are the closed doors and you walk around with a, a victim mindset and don't get me wrong, people are victim of two things and of things and you're not in control of the things that happen to you, but you are very much in control of your response to those things. So if you have something taken away from you and you spend your, the rest of your day is focusing on what you've lost, you'll never see the other things that you can take the opportunities that arise, you know? Um, and it's having that mindset. It's just a complete game changer. It changes your life. Literally. You know, if, if you go to get in your van in the morning and it doesn't start, you can spend the day kicking the van and <laughs> this stressing. This is me. This is me. And stressing about the fact it didn't My start. My day is like that. Or you can turn around and you can go, okay, well, I've got the day off now. I'll walk the dog. I'll go to the gym. What a nice day. You know, I'll get some exercise. I'll do some paperwork. You know, you, you turn everything into a blessing where you can. It's not easy. Don't get me wrong. I'm no saint. I still get majorly pissed off with things. What was the last thing you got really pissed off with? Uh, let's not talk about last week's job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've spent the last two weeks at work on a very close knife edge. But yeah. He's out of the woods now. I'm out of the woods. I'm into much greener, much friendlier pastures. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that, that was kind of my journey. Do you think, have I missed anything? Because I'll ramble and I'll forget no, what I'm No, you've been going yeah. for a, nearly an hour now. So Nearly an hour. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm aiming for Joe Rogan levels. I want three hours out of these things. Can't do that without not feeding me. I'm so hungry. Straight from work, straight get into here. Have we got an address now? I'm Can not we get having, Domino's? No. I'm not doing pizza. What? No. Right. Okay. Well, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, if you've got to this point, thank you very much for listening. The reason that I wanted to do this, the reason I wanted to do this introduction episode, as it were, is because from here on in, my intention is to get people in, get guests in. If you can come in, if you're listening to this, fantastic. If not, it will be remote. I'm hoping to get as many face-to-face -face conversations as I can because I think it just hits differently. But I want to be able to concentrate on other people's journeys and, you know, get some 
professionals in, some other views, you know. Uh, I've got a CBT therapist lined up to come on the podcast. Is that my sister? Maybe. Uh. Um, <laughs> but I've also, another great one we've got lined up. Hang yeah, on a minute. Oh. You're poaching my podcaster people. How would you like it if your people wanted to come on my podcast? I'd be fine with that. Maybe you've you've already had her. She's mine now. <laughs> She's not yours. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that kind of thing. I've also got lined up the director of Worcester Samaritans branch has agreed to come on the podcast as well talk about the Samaritan service which again I think is a fantastic service and the awareness needs to be raised of exactly what they do how they do it because I think it can help so many people in those crisis times um so yeah it's not just going to be tradespeople. And the other thing I want to clarify now, obviously most people know me as a painter and decorator. This podcast is the talking tradesman, not the talking painter and decorator. So I want this podcast to go out and reach across the trades, not just painting and decorating, but into all of the elements of of the building trades because it's going to be more mental health focused. I mean, obviously we're going to talk about people's businesses, people's journeys in business because that plays a big part. Um but it isn't just a painting and decorating show. This is going to go across all the trades. So if you're listening and anything that you've listened to or heard or resonated with today, if you can give this show a like, a share, subscribe on Spotify, subscribe to YouTube when it exists on YouTube, uh, where else are we going? Uh, Amazon, Apple, you know, all those big boys. When the tech department gets this live on all those things, please do give it a like, share, follow, raise awareness as much as you can that this is going to be out there. But when the trade team doesn't give me the relevant passwords to change because you don't know them, how can I do? Teething issues. But yeah, so obviously we're early days. First podcast, hopefully, now under the belt. Um, There'll be more to come. We're going to do a few more episodes together as well because there are certain things that I've learned through my journey in psychology and evolutional psychology that I'd like to talk because I think it will give people tools to help and understand the way that the mind works. And I find that easier to do when I talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to throw this knowledge at you. Oh, thanks. There we go. Um, and yeah, that, that's about it. So if you've got to this point, thank you very much for listening and stay tuned for what is to come. There are big things to come. We've also got a big announcement coming up, something that I've agreed to do next year to raise awareness for mental health that my wife is not particularly happy about at this point. Talking about anxiety, yeah? Yeah, possibly. What do you think that's going to do? I'll be fine. <laughs> So yeah, big year next year, big things to come, big announcement in the new year about something I've signed up to. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. Thank you very much if you've got to this point. See you later.